You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 201, Tina Smith and Praying for Your Kids. Prayer is powerful. the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm so glad that you are here, and I'm just thrilled that uh, you found us. So if you have and you haven't had a chance to go out to Facebook and just search up Halfway There Podcast, like our page, I would love to have you uh, there where I share every week the, um, the, you know, certainly our new episodes and then other episodes that I think are uh, relevant to the times. And then I asked some questions. So I'd love to hear from you about some of those questions. One of the ones I asked recently was, uh, what's something that you uh, started small in your life and then grew beyond your wildest dreams? Um, uh, And that was inspired by a guest. And so I'd love to hear your answer to something like that. And of course, you can always connect with us on Patreon, uh, Patreon as well, patreon.com slash halfway there. Uh, if you want to support what we do and keep it rolling today, we have a really great conversation. I can't wait. Uh, she's become a really valuable member of my podcasting community, but she's got an amazing ministry and an amazing story as well. Uh, she's the founder of Raising Kids on Your Knees, a ministry dedicated to equipping parents to pray and parent life into the lives of their children. I love that. Our guest is Tina Smith. Tina, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you so much, Eric. I am privileged to be here with you and excited. I am excited too. I have, uh, you know, we've been connected online for a while, but I haven't had a chance to really get to know you personally um, like this. So I can't wait to wait to hear some of your story. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and where God has you right now? Well, I'm Tina Smith and I am the founder of Raising Kids on Your Knees. I started that ministry about eight years ago at my dining room table Um, I am married to my second husband, Rod, for 24 years. I have four children. My oldest is 31 right now. My youngest is 20. And I am a grandmother of three. So that's pretty exciting. Um, When I started raising kids on your knee years ago and actually really journaling and focusing on praying for them every day, and I began to see God do just amazing things before my eyes and my kids' lives through prayer. So I thought one day I would just kind of start a blog and I would put some of those prayers out there. And so began Raising Kids on Your Knees. And it has just grown into something where I send prayer sheets out every week now. I do a weekly newsletter called The Weekly Arrow. I am now podcasting Raising Kids on Your Knees. And I am co-hosting the Not Not All Heroes Wear Capes, a mom podcast. So I've written some books. Um, I've done some speaking. I do a retreat every year for moms to kind of get away and rest and relax and be renewed in the word. So it's just been kind of a journey with God, you know, with this raising kids on your knees thing. And it's exciting. It's exciting to pour into moms and and dads as well and to equip them to pray for their kids, but also to disciple them so that they grow spiritually so that their prayers for their kids are powerful and effective. And it's just, it's just been a lot of fun for me. I love that. Yeah. So speaking of something that started small in your life, but grew beyond your wildest dreams, right? Starting at your kitchen table. 
Yeah, I was sitting at the dining room table and I've, you know, had some conversations recently for, with some other women that God's just kind of really moving and stirring in our hearts, you know, and I said, listen, this all started at my dining room table praying for my kids. And literally, that's how it all started. Mm, love it. Yeah, definitely. Um, in Zechariah, it says, who despises the day of small beginnings? That's where that question mm. comes from. I love that because it reminds us, you know, even Jesus talked about, right, faith of a mustard seed. So exactly and it takes time it know, does doing this for eight years so be patient i love that okay so you're a podcaster that's cool so friends you're already in the app just go over uh particularly if you have kids or grandkids but you know do it anyway go um you know to raising kids on your knees just search that up and subscribe to tina's show um or what's the other one moms not all heroes wear capes not a yep not yeah. all heroes wear capes a mom podcast and i yeah. co-host that with betsy pendergrass so two of us have about 52 years of parenting oh, experience that'll and do. we talk all things momming that'll help so yeah i love it okay well go go do that friends so tina i want to get into some of your story where did you grow up I grew up in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which is the home of the Little League World Series. And oh, nice. I grew up, my, my dad was self-employed. He was a school photographer. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And I grew up there, but we also lived our summers in Virginia, North Carolina, because that's where my parents grew up. So I spent three months of the summer, or three months of the year in the South. And um, the rest of the time I spent up North. So, um, it was kind of a, a, you know, I had that Northern culture and Southern culture yeah. kind of met. And how, so it's how'd that shape you? Sometimes. Cause those are totally different religious cultures too. Oh, what? absolutely. So my mom was raised Southern Baptist and my dad really wasn't raised in church. Although I remember my grandmother used to go to a primitive Methodist church in Ooh. North Carolina and, um, so those were my roots. I definitely had a righteous heritage. I had grandparents, you know, I remember going to my grandmother's church and she sang in the choir and, and all of that. My mom listened to Southern gospel all the time. And that really was what, um, God used to draw me to himself was those Southern gospel songs. And to this day, they're my safe place. You know, I love to go and listen to them and, you know, it reminds me of growing up, but, um, the Southern culture and the Northern culture are so different. Yeah. You know, they're really opposed to each other because, you know, up North, everybody's pretty honest about how they feel. And I feel like down South, they're not quite so honest. <laughs> right. You know, <clears throat> so you, you know, you would have, you, you kind of put a, a facade on. And then when people turn their backs, I, sometimes I felt like, you know, they were knives that got stuck. Oh, yeah. Hate to say that. But, well, but, they, they know, say that, uh, bless your heart. Right. And they don't mean bless you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I live in the South again. So I am back in North Carolina. And so I see it with my own eyes. I was raised in it. You know, um, unfortunately I saw family members do that. And, you know, up North, I feel like sometimes they're almost too honest. <laughs> so It was really a dichotomy for me. Um, now when uh, people hear me speak, they think I'm from the Midwest. So I, I really, there you go. Totally, you know, messed up. Well, as a Midwesterner, I can uh, I can say good job. Then that's good. <laughs> so, I love it. <laughs> um, so, you, what was your family like? Like, what what did you you kind of kind of bouncing back and forth? How did that shape your views of God? And you know, did you have a did you have kind of a like a personal relationship, or how did that come about? No, 
I didn't really. And honestly, I felt like that came out of nobody really in my family, although, you know, church was a big deal. My parents never really went to church. I remember my mom kind of, we were kind of like priesters. We went on Christmas and Easter and, you know, it was, it was an, it was something that was prevalent, but wasn't really walked out, if that makes any sense. And so I'm the oldest of four. Um, when I was, let me see, 17, my parents decided to separate and then they decided to get back together. But I went to three different high schools, my sophomore, junior and senior year of, of high school. So I went, my uh, sophomore year was in Williamsport. Then I moved to Virginia. We had a summer home there and we lived there for a year. So my junior year of high school was spent in um, Virginia. And then my senior year, I moved there three days before school started to New York. And my parents were going to try to work things out. It didn't happen. By the time March came along, um, I was on my own and putting a roof over my head and food in my stomach. I was still not graduated from high school, but I was co-oping at, at a, a big corporation there. And um, it was at that time that all of, you know, I felt God's calling and I had started going to church with a boyfriend of mine and um, I was saved at a coffee house. But prior to that, we were not walking the way we should be. We're having sex outside of marriage, the whole nine yards. And I carried all of that right into my Christian walk. And at that point, my relationship with my family really separated because my mom went back to Virginia. My dad um, moved in with his girlfriend and, you know, I was just kind of floundering there. And my boyfriend's family really became my family at that point. So, so did you um, find some security with him and that family with, with um, my boyfriend's family? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I felt like um, they really kind of stepped in and became mom and dad for me. And it was, it was good. It was a comforting thing. I mean, I was alone. So, and I was only 18 and um, you know, and I think about it now and I think about my own kids and them being alone and putting a roof over their head and food in their stomach and working full-time jobs. I just, it, it, it makes me cringe to think because they were just babies, you know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it kind of gave me perspective on, you know, I always say I went to the school of hard knocks um, because I was so young and I was on my own so early in life and I had to grow up really quick. And I think a lot of that, you know, is what drew me to Christ is, is just, I knew he was calling me and I, I made that decision at a coffee house to accept him as, as my savior. But then I really wasn't discipled well. And that, and I think that's why I'm so passionate about making sure that moms and dads are well saved, that they know who they are in Christ and they know how to fight in the spiritual realm because I didn't know those things. And so I continued to walk for 13 years after receiving Christ and paved a path of destruction in my life, made some really poor choices. And um, it wasn't until after all of that, that I finally bowed my knee to Jesus Christ and made him Lord of my life. I was going to follow him no matter what, but at that point in my life, I had already made some major life-changing, life-altering decisions. And so it was walking those out with Jesus and him beginning to restore to me the years of locusts have eaten. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was, it wasn't easy, but God was really faithful. So 
um, you know, when I, when I talk about the years the locust had eaten and not walking, you know, under the, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that some of the decisions I made, I mean, you know, my, um, boyfriend and I were sleeping together yet it was all behind the scenes. Like we thought nobody knew that and we were in leadership at our church in the youth program and all of that. We ended up, um, getting pregnant. I ended up choosing to, um, to abort that baby. Um, we got married and we had our own two children and then our marriage fell apart. And I think that's because, you know, relationships that begin in deceit end in deceit. And it was as God began dismantling the kingdom that I had built for myself. Um, he began getting a hold of my heart and yeah. calling me back to himself. Well, there's a lot there. So I want to go, <laughs> I want to go, I think it's important. Um, you know, you call it your path of destruction, right? That season. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to go to at least just peek inside that if it's okay. Absolutely. Um, because, you know, I think a lot of us experience that sort of disparity of, I believe these things. I'm going to church. I'm serving, but uh, practically, my life is not like I'm. I'm not obeying them necessarily. And so, I'd love to talk about that. What What was your feeling during that season? Like, where was Where was God for you? I, I like how you describe it as, um, you know, He wasn't Lord of your life. But where, what did that mean? Um, not just practically, but just for your own sort of understanding of who God was and your experience of him specifically? I, you know, so many of us get our view of who God is through our earthly fathers. And my earthly father, because he owned his own business, was extremely busy and he was a school photographer. So nine months of the year, he was pretty absentee. He was working. He was on the road. He had a pretty big territory that he covered. And so I saw God as this big guy in the sky who really didn't have anything intimately to do, you know, in my life, like he was just kind of watching what was going on and not really a a big part of my life. So I was literally in the driver's seat. I was making my own decisions. I didn't consult him on anything. You know, I just kind of thought I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. And although at the same time, you know, my flesh and my desires were really driving the direction that I was headed in. And so as God got a hold of me, he began showing me that he wants to be intimately involved in my life and he wants me to be dependent on him. I'm a very independent woman, you know, and I, I brought that right into my life with, with Christ, you know, that independence and God's like, no, I want you to be dependent on me, not on yourself. And I spent all that, all those years really depending on myself and, and leaning on my own understanding and, you know, really trying to figure out what I was supposed to do without even consulting God in that it wasn't even a thought. Yeah. So I guess that's what I mean. You know, when I say he wasn't Lord of my life, he just was kind of the big guy in the sky and watching it all come down and he really wasn't involved. Yeah. It, which is interesting. You mentioned, you know, you weren't discipled. Well, I think that's one of the most important parts. I get a little bit, um, I should say it nicely. I don't know, a little bit unnerved, I guess, when, when people talk about <laughs> discipleship as knowledge, right? Like there's, right, 
Right. It's valuable. And sometimes our churches, you can see the assumption in the programs that they offer that what you just need is knowledge. And I don't think that's it. You need personal experience with Jesus and you need to learn how to, you know, interact with him, for instance, about your life. And uh, that's that's a practice, but it takes it takes somebody to teach it to you. So, yeah, I can see where if you didn't have that, you wouldn't you wouldn't live that way. Not at all. I didn't have that at all. I mean, church was, you know, you went on Sundays and, you know, you did Sunday school and and it was just knowledge. It was head knowledge. It wasn't anything that I was taught to walk out personally. And I didn't really have anybody in my life at that time who was mentoring me or leading me spiritually. And so I really didn't understand it. I didn't understand what that all meant. Yeah. I I read in your story, uh, you describe having an abortion as like the decision you'll always regret. Like what, where did you feel God was at during that season? You know, um, when you find yourself unexpectedly pregnant, which shouldn't have surprised me because that's what happens, you know, (laughs) that's the way God created for all of that to work. Um, there was a fear that, just paralyzed me. And, um, of course, you know, first of all, we're going to church, we're being deceitful. So we're living double lives. You know, we, we live this life of, you know, the righteous couple that are going to church and everybody wants to be us. And then behind the scenes, we're doing whatever we want to do. And so when you find yourself pregnant, the first thing you want to do is like cover it up. Like, oh my gosh, we can't let people know that because then that's totally going to destroy this whole masquerade that we're playing here. Yeah. So you're ashamed. Oh yeah. Well, you're scared. I think first of all, you are ashamed. And, um, you know, at that point in my life, my boyfriend was my idol and I talked to him about, you know, I told him what was going on and his, you know, he's like, okay, we're going to take care of this. Don't worry. I know what to do. And, um, you know, you're not going to do anything to upset your idol. You're not going to, you know, you're going to follow through. Now, at the end of the day, I still made the choice. And, you know, we went through, I went through the abortion process. Of course, you you walk in the office. We went out of town. You walk in the office. You give them an envelope of money because you don't want a money trail. <laughs> and you sit down with a doctor and the doctor says, okay, he takes a gestational wheel and he says, this is how far along you are. Are you sure you want to do this? And at that moment, I had another chance to say no, but I said yes. And then you walk down the hall, you, you know, you, you go into the, the room. And for me back in those days, I mean, they didn't put you to sleep or anything. I've heard now that they, they kind of give you an anesthetic, but um, nothing like that. And you hear the sound of machine and you, you know, and then you're done and you walk out. And I remember driving home that day and just looking out the window, I can still see it in my mind's eye and just thinking, how does God forgive this stuff? How does he forgive this? See, I knew it was wrong. I knew it was wrong and I still did it. And that, you know, those were things. And I like, we shoved that under the carpet so far. And I really didn't revisit all of that until 15 years later when my life was down around my ankles. And those were things that God was going, okay, let's clean this wound out now, you know? Yeah. And, um, so I think God was there, but I wasn't listening. 
Yeah. And it sounds like a lot of that just sort of built up over time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you did eventually get married and you had a couple of kids and, and, uh, but that all broke down eventually. Yeah, it did. You know, um, we got married and had our first and, um, just happy. I mean, you know, everybody looked at us as the couple they wanted to be. And underneath all of that was so much stuff that, you know, was eroding at the foundation of the relationship. And we had our first, and then I got pregnant a year later with our second. And my husband was not happy about that. And I couldn't understand why, like, why wouldn't he be excited? Nor was his family. And so there was a lot of rejection that was going on there. And unfortunately, that baby, my second child wrestles with rejection to this day because she felt it from the womb. And, you know, I went ahead and I had her, but things in the marriage were beginning to break down and he was not around very much. I ended up, I found out later that he had friends and that he was spending time with them. And it was over the course of a couple of years it took for God to bring me out of the denial of what was going on in my marriage. And finally, um, there was this weekend and I had a book. It was called Love Must Be Tough by James Dobson. And I pulled it off the shelf for some reason and began to and began to read it. And that book is all about how to walk through infidelity. And it was so providential that I read that book in one weekend. And then God began dismantling everything, um, dismantling all of the deception and all of the, the things that that marriage was built on. And it began to fall apart. And it was at that point where I hit the wall. And I, at that point, I, you know, was going to Bible studies, ladies Bible studies at church. And I had a woman who walked up to me one day at one of the Bible studies and she looked at me and I had here, I have like, you know, a a four-year-old and a two-year-old or a three-year-old and a one-year-old. They were little. And she looked at me and she said, how are you doing today? And I said, oh, I'm fine. Because, you know, that's what we say. (laughs) Right. And she looked at me in the eyes again, and she said, are you really? And I lost it. And God began at that moment. She was a lay counselor at our church, and she pulled me into her office with my two little ones. And she said, okay, what's going on? And I just poured it out, you know, ugly cried and let her know what was going on. And and she began to walk alongside of me, um, not just as a counselor, but as a mentor, And it was at that point that um, God began tearing down things like control and fear and unbelief in my life. And that's when I put the stake in the ground that, you know what, Lord, I'm, I'm done. I can't sit on the throne of my life anymore. I am putting a stake in the ground that I'm going to follow you from this moment on, though you slay me yet. Will I trust you exactly what Job said? And I'd love to say that I put that stake in the ground and like, it was all cupcakes and balloons after that, but it wasn't, it was hard. And that marriage ended up falling apart. I was a single mom with two very young children. I had to go back to work full time. And all of this though, in all of this, God began just setting me free from those things that were chains that I brought into 
my Christian walk. So I came into my Christian walk with all of this baggage. It's like moving into a house and you have all these boxes, you know, and God began unpacking each box of things that I needed to deal with. And he began setting me free and I began walking in freedom and victory in him. And, um, it wasn't, I don't know. I can't remember how many years later God brought my second husband into my life. I met him at church. We were both Awana Cubby leaders and, um, you know, he, he was getting, he was interested. He had never been married before. And I, I remember saying to him, you know what, you need to back up, bud, because this is a big package deal you got going on right here. You got an ex-husband, you've got, you know, ex-in-laws, you've got two children that are coming into this. And I remember it was probably three days. I didn't hear a word from him. I'm like, well, there goes that one. And um, he called me and he said, listen, he goes, I've been praying about this. And I really feel like this is where God is leading me. And I really want to pursue this relationship. And he never looked back. He never looked back from that day forward. And he, I can hands down tell you that him coming into my children's lives um, changed the trajectory of their lives. Um, he was as much a dad as he could be. Their father was very involved in their lives. And he allowed me the latitude to co-parent. And he stood behind me and supported me. And we, we grew together in Christ. And you know, we're 24 years down the road with a blended family and, you know, four kids that absolutely love each other. We had two of our own and, you know, God has redeemed so much out of that. Um, but it took me completely dying to myself so that my children could live. And there were a lot of times walking, you know, people look at me now and they're like, Oh, I'll just get a divorce and get remarried. And it'll be wonderful. I'm like, no, you need a backup sister because, this is not easy. You know, second marriages are never like first marriages. And there's a lot of components in this that you need to know before you make that decision. It's actually better if you can work it out with your first husband. It's, you know, if, if you can work that out, that's the way to go. But um, God has blessed us and I'm thankful for that. And um, we just continue to lean on him to get us through all of that. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's quite the story. So it sounds like your mentor kind of came along and helped you start to heal. And then did, did, was that the mentor who showed you how to begin to disciple you? Yes. Took yes. you through all that he stuff that God wanted to. This, yeah. To this day, uh, her name is Patty. She is still an intricate part of my spiritual walk and you know, and it's funny because so many years, you know, we're 30 some years down the road in that mentoring process, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of years to grow old friends. And, you know, we have become, although she's still my mentor and I see her that way, we have now become, we speak life into each other's lives and God has, you know, it's, it's a really neat process as we've walked together in that, but she's that person that, you know, always points me back to Jesus. And there for a while in the beginning, she literally had to hold my hand on a daily basis and really, really walk me through um, all those things. And now, you know, 30 years down the road, she taught me how to hear the Holy Spirit. She taught me how to pray. Um, she taught me how to walk in obedience to Jesus Christ. And 
now, you know, sometimes I just call and check up on her and see how she's doing. But there's other times when I get stuck and I can just call her and say, okay, listen, here's what I'm dealing with. This is what I think it is. And, you know, fortunately she has an amazing gift of discernment. So she sees things that I don't always see, but, um, I cannot say enough. I am so passionate about the Titus II model for women of, you know, older women and younger women um, being together. And and the thing is, is we forget this, is that we're all an older woman to somebody and we're all a younger right. woman to somebody, right. you know, we play both those roles and we all walk together. So it's just so neat. This, um, as we've been walking through this crisis in our country, one of the things I've done is started the Zoom room and we meet every morning at nine and we do a devotional and we pray for one another. And there's women of all ages and stages of momming in that room. And it is just beautiful to watch um, everybody feed each other. It's a neat thing. I love it. I love it. I think that's so great. I totally agree. We need people to step up. I think a lot of times, um, like I have a whole episode with one of my mentors back from December, 2019 about that. And we talked about how, uh, you know, being a mentor can feel a little bit intimidating, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, you don't have to just have all the answers, right? You really just need to be able to share your life and share your own experience. That's why I'm so passionate about sharing experience on this show. Um, Cause I think it does matter if we, if we hear it and share it. I'm curious about something you just said. Um, you know, she taught you how to hear the Holy Spirit. That's not everyone learns that. So what, tell us about that process. You know, it was one of those things where, you know, I would, she would push me, you know, after she would hold my hand for so long and then she would say, okay, you need to get in your prayer closet about that. And she would say, okay, you get in your prayer closet and then we'll talk about it. And I would get in my prayer closet and I would pray about something. And I'm a big journaler. So I write out like all my prayers and everything. And I would, I would think, or I would hear what I thought, you know, God was saying, and I would go back to her. And I said, I think this is what I'm hearing. And she would, you know, she would either take me back to the word and say, yeah, I don't know if that really lines up with the, you know, what, what the word says, the truth. Or she would say, yeah, yeah, that's what the Holy Spirit sounds like. And it's so cool because as my kids have grown up, I have, you know, been kind of sensitive to those times when I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to them. And I can say, that was the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit sounds like, you know, and it's one of those dynamics that you really have to lean into and press into. And really be willing to be patient enough to learn it because God is so patient. And I'm like one of those, I'm a Martha and I'm like, let's just get her done. And God's not like that. He's very patient and he's very methodical about how he does things. And it's being still enough to hear that voice, that small, still voice. And once you get the hang of what, how it sounds, it's so much, it's so cool. It's like the coolest thing. Like this morning I sat down. And I was going to lead these moms in the Zoom room. And it, you know, I sat down, I had no idea what I was going to talk to them about in the morning. And so I just sat down and I started moving like, okay, here's the verse that's in on the prayer sheet for this day. And so I said, and I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, talk to them about lordship today. And I went, okay, we got this. And I was off and you can just feel the peace and um, you can feel the power of the Holy Spirit moving you in that. 
Yeah. Boy, I love that. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice, right? Mm -hmm. I know them and they follow me. That's in John 10. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that example. How cool to have a mentor or somebody that you can listen and then bounce that off with who will point you to scripture and go, well, that's, you know, Mm -hmm. um, what a cool example. I love that story. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Um, okay. And then the other thing that you've mentioned a few times is sort of operating in the spiritual world or how do, how do you handle those kinds of things? So I'm really curious about that as well, because that's another piece of discipleship uh, I've been, I'm personally curious about, but I think also is not generally talked about in evangelical circles that I grew up in anyway. No, I don't. It's not something that I heard growing up at all. It wasn't until I was in the, in the church that I was saved in, in New York, and we had fallen apart. We had split. We had gone from like 350 members down to 98, and we had an uh, interim pastor, and we were just floundering. We were desperate, and um, we had a pastor who came to our church who brought with him the whole teaching of who you are in Christ what your identity is. And he also taught us how to do spiritual warfare and what all of that looked like. And, you know, I always say to people, what we see with our human eyes is only about 20% or less of reality. The other 80% is going on around us in the spiritual realm. And I think the, the mistake we make as believers is like, well, if I just ignore Satan, if I just ignore the enemy and he right. will leave me alone and there is no bigger lie. He would love for us to buy that lie. Yeah. What is that line that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was uh, making you think he doesn't exist? Exactly. Isn't that out of C.S. Lewis screw tape letters or something like that? I can't remember. Um, I know it's in, um, uh, what's that movie? The usual suspects Kaiser Sussex. Anyway, but I think he's yeah, quoting another theologian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's so true. And so I began to understand that, you know, I mean, Satan, when he fell, he took a third of the angels. Well, they're his emissaries. They're the ones that are out doing his bidding for him. He's, you know, he, Satan himself is probably more concerned about our leaders of our world and all that kind of stuff. But he has these little demons that are, you know, um, doing his bidding for, and they're planting thoughts. I mean, they don't, you know, everybody thinks Satan has the same attributes as God. I mean, he's not omniscient, he's not omnipresent, and he's not, what's the other one? I always forget the other one. Omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not everywhere. You know, he he was a created being, um, just like the rest of the angels. He doesn't have the same attributes as God, and we give him those attributes. And we think that the, the fight with him is a horizontal, it's on a horizontal plane. You know, it we always see we have the, the good guy and the bad guy on our shoulder. Right. You know, that's not true. It's a vertical battle and it, and it's, a, there's a chain of command, you know, and Jesus was given all authority and we're in him and Christ and everything else is under our feet and we have the authority, you know, the enemy only has as much power in our lives as we give him, but it's learning how, you know, the word is, there's so many things in the word that talk about him and his strategies and how he dupes us. And, you know, he whispers in our ears, these lies in the first person. So we think they're our thoughts and they're not really our thoughts. You know, I tell people, how many times have you gone down the road? You're just driving down the road and you hear in your head, why don't 
should just turn that steering wheel really quick and see what happens. And so many people will say, oh my gosh, like I've had that thought. I said, do you think that's your thought? Well, yeah, it's my, I know that's not your thought. The enemy's, the enemy's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's very, very patient. And he, he's got a three by five card on all of us. He knows what pushes our buttons. He knows how to steer us. And until we start looking at what his strategies are and how he's working in our own lives, we can't fight him. And we need to teach, we need to learn how to fight the enemy. We need to learn how to fight the enemy in prayer. And then we need to learn, we need to teach our kids how to fight. We need to raise up warriors because if we think this is hard and what we're going through right now, this is just a precursor to what's going to happen in the end times. And our prayers have, a, they echo throughout generations, you know, and, mm. and we're raising up these warriors. And I know God's, you know, raising up. A, a kingdom of women here um, to pray for their kids and raise up these warriors and teach them how to fight. But we have to learn how to do that so we can teach our kids. Like all four of my kids are fighters. They know how to recognize the spiritual battle and they know how to fight it. And it's neat to watch them walk in the freedom and victory that Christ has given them in that. Yeah, that's amazing that you were able to teach it to them. Um. It was very simple, honestly. Yeah. We started very young and um, they would see things. You know, you know how kids are, oh my gosh, there's a monster in my bed or something touched me or something. Well, you know what? I don't discount that stuff because the enemy loves to um, deceive our children and our children are very sensitive to the spiritual realm. And it was simply teaching them how to pray in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. And at, at that, at the name of Jesus, the enemy has to flee. And they saw it with their own eyes. You know, they would see something. I had one of the story with um, one of my number three, when he was like three years old, his sister was two. And she came to him and said, there's something in my closet, you know, and he went in there and he said, in the name of Jesus, go away. And he, it went away and they came running to me and, you know, he's like, mommy, mommy, like, you know, Carlene had something in her room and I, I told it to go away in the name of Jesus. And it did. And I'm like, yes, we've got warriors. See, they, it wasn't, they weren't afraid. Wow. They were given the tools they needed to fight. And when they learned that they could fight, it was just that simple. And they carried that into their adult lives. You yeah. Know? And now they're teaching their kids. I have the privilege now of grandchildren and I'm watching God walk that all out in you know, the next generation. So it's pretty cool. It's a neat that is cool. point to have. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm really fascinated because we definitely see glimpses of that all over scripture. You know, even in Daniel, you know, the angel comes to him and says, oh, I would have been here sooner, but they were fighting, you know, demons were fighting right. me, right? Um, and Jesus obviously encounters them and, and the apostles. Uh, but one thing I'm, I have a question about is I don't understand if we were supposed to know so much about it, why isn't there more about it in scripture? I think it's just assumed like, you know, yeah. we're spiritual beings. We're spiritually alive. And it, I think that it's in there. I, I just don't think we see it as much and it's not pointed out as much. You know, all in the Old Testament, we talk about the angels that were fighting, you know, and they would be manifested so that the enemy could see them, you know, and we see uh, Jehoshaphat. You know, in Chron in Second Chronicles, where God says the battle is not yours, it's mine, and all you have to do is stand. 
you know, and I think we miss it. We miss the spiritual battle because I think the enemy has blinded us to it. Mm -hmm. I think there's probably more in there than what we actually see, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that is very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, okay, so is that how you how prayer became such an important part of your life? Tell us tell us about that that moment when you um you decided to pray for your kids at your dining room table. You know, I read a book, and I think it was by Nicole Johnson, and it was I can't even remember the title of it right now, but in that book there was a whole chapter on journaling, and I wasn't a journaler, but. I did know that in my prayer time, like if I would try to pray, I was always distracted. Like my thoughts were everywhere, you know, and um, I finally grabbed a journal. Somebody said to me, you know, get a fun journal and get some really cool pens. And to this day, I love journals and pens. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and I did. And I was like, huh, I really wonder what this journal is supposed to look like. And honestly, I sat down and I went, I started writing letters to God every day, prayer letters. And to this day, they start out, Dear Heavenly Father. And I just sit down and I start talking to them. I start writing them a letter. And um, there were times when I was going through some of those hard times in my life of divorce and separation and all that kind of stuff where I didn't even have the words to say where I would just take my pen and just scribble, like, you know, really dig in and scribble on the page because I just didn't have any words. And so I began, you know, praying each day for my kids individually. And like I said, I started seeing God really move in their lives. And um, I just, I kept on doing it. I just kept on doing it. It was something that became a habit in my life. And then I, that's when I was living in New York state. And then we moved to North Carolina eight years ago and I went from working part-time and, you know, hockey season and horseback riding season and the whole, you know, fast paced life to being at home. My kids went off to school. My husband went off to work and it was quiet. And I was like, okay, Lord, now what? <laughs> My husband lived in North Carolina for several months before we moved here. So I was, you know, up, up in New York. I was closing on a house. I was doing hockey season. I was, I was doing 250 miles an hour. And I went from 250 miles an hour to zero. And I was like, wow, it's really quiet. So just sat at my dining room table and I was praying one day and I had a blog and I thought, hey, I'm just going to start blogging this stuff and I'm going to put it out there and see what happens. And I just kept moving forward because God can't steer a parked car. And I just kept moving forward. And then, it, you know, he laid on my heart, you know, let's make this something. And I said to my husband, gee, we should probably, I should probably name this something that would be really cool for the blog. And literally God laid raising kids on your knees on my heart and that's how it began and you know I just kept I keep praying for my kids and to this day I have a journal and every morning you know I'm before the Lord in my journal and I write down you know when I hear his Holy Spirit speak I write some things down or I underline them or I do different colors or whatever and it's just a personal it's a personal walk with him with these journals in prayer and following him. 
I love that. And then, um, did you, you eventually started podcasting? Was it, was it kind of similar journey to dive into podcasting? Yeah, it's so funny. I ended up partnering with um, Map Global, which is a ministry advocacy partnership. So basically, they come alongside para ministries outside of the church and give us a platform. They support us, whatever we need, and they give us the 501c3 so that we can, um, you know, be uh, tax deductible, deduct, uh, you know, um, if you donate. But anyway, um, came alongside them or they came alongside me and um, I had heard of podcasting through my oldest. He's an avid podcast listener. And just one day, the Holy spirit, I heard his still voice say, um, you start a podcast. And I'm like, Oh, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> and so map global what they do is they give us like um you know they want us to write down our our quarterly goal, goals for the year so i had written down podcasting for a fourth quarter goal for the year 2019 and it was in march of 2019 i was sitting at my dining room table and you know i i started googling how do you do a podcast you know what's a podcast and there was this it was an app anchor fm you know and i brought it up yeah. and i started talking in my phone and i'm like oh gee i could do this this is not hard this is fun actually i like to talk <laughs> so i um did my first podcast and i sent it to my son and i said what do you think and he's like well we need some help here with <laughs> <laughs> sounding a little better you sound like you're in a barrel and you know you maybe you need to get a mic because you're just talking into your phone and all this stuff so he kind of coached me a little bit not because he knew like how to do it but he had been listening to podcasts so he was kind of coaching me a little bit on what that should sound like so you know I get in my closet or I'd put pillows all around me and I would sit there and I would podcast and I was just like basically podcasting the devotionals that I do on a daily basis. That's how I got started and the weekly era, which I do on Sundays. And, you know, I, um, that was in March, just a year ago. And, um, I think one of my girlfriends said something about going to the spark conference, the spark podcast conference. Yeah. And I was like, it was in the back of my mind. It's one of those things, you know, the Holy spirit kind of plants something in your mind and then, you don't really move on it. And then he goes, okay. You know, so I had this girlfriend who I was friends with on uh, Instagram and she said, are you going to the spark Christian podcast conference? And I said, you know, I'm kind of been thinking about that, but I don't really know anybody or anything. She goes, well, I'm going to go. And I'm like, okay, well, if you're going to go, then I'm going to go. And why don't we room together? And so a friendship came out of that and um, we roomed together and we went to spark and you know, I learned a little bit more about podcasting and you helped me with the new mic and yeah, <laughs> all of that. And that's how we met. And um, so it just kind of, you know, was one of those things. I'm kind of one of those people who just dive in. It's like, okay, let's just do this. If you're telling me to do this, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to dive in and I'm going to do this and I'm going to trust you to direct me in it. And that's really what he's done with podcasting, you know, and I love it. It's a lot of fun. I think it's a lot of fun. So I love it too, obviously. And, 
I think I think that's great. Um, I'm grateful for your show and for all that all that you're doing. Um, Tina, this has been really a great a great story. Thank you for sharing it with us, and uh, it's been it's just been fun to hear kind of your journey from uh, you know uh, saying saying you're following the Lord, but to giving your whole life over to Him. I think that is just mm-hmm. astounding. Um, is there anything you want to leave us with? You know, pray for your kids. That is the that is the one thing that God has laid on my heart, and that's the lane that I run in is pray for your kids every day because it means so much to them. I did a, I interviewed or I pulled, let's say I pulled all four of my kids and asked them what it meant to have a mom who prays for them, and I wrote an article and I also have it on a podcast. Um, Praying Moms Do Matter. And all four of my kids gave me different answers and not just one, but multiple. And none of them were about the answers to the prayers, but the fact that they were being prayed for and how much it meant to them and what it meant in their lives. So it means something to them and and it's going to mean something to the generations to come. So my thing is, is please, every day, pray for your kids. It makes a difference. Amen. Um, last year, I got to interview Oz Guinness, and he said that the, he has an ancestor who prayed for 10 generations mm-hmm. of his family. And he said that and he's included in that. And they, um, you know, he said that they their family has very few members who have kind of gone their own way. They're, they're all following and trusting Christ because of that one family member. So absolutely. I mean, often in the United States, we have this sort of short view of history, but man, think about a hundred years or 200 years or 500 years of your family. Uh, should the Lord tarry, prayer will make the difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. I love it. Tina, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Eric. I've enjoyed it. 